the underdog the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world my name is hannah grant and i'm the administrative assistant and social outreach director at the animal law firm i will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder christina bergson in order to create more content for our lovely viewers as i interviewed these amazing people i was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Lisa Rimmer, an author, business owner, and comedian who advocates for animals. Her book, Stay, My Forever Friendship with an Aging Dog, describes her experience coming to grips with her dog's aging. Her business, On the Nose, helps individuals and organizations to communicate effectively and persuasively. And as a stand-up comedian, she brings humor to subjects like women's rights, animal rights, veganism, and more. I'm very excited to have her as a guest today, so thanks for being here, Lisa. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. Well, we can just dive right into the questions then. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in your field? Sure. Well, I um, it's funny because when you say field, the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh my gosh, what field am I in? Because <laughs> um, I'm kind of all over the place. But I do think looking back at my background, there's a couple of, I guess, threads that kind of tie together and weave in and out. And that's always been animals and writing. So since I can remember, I've always been an animal lover and I've always been interested in writing and words and verbiage and communication And those things led me to where I am right now, which is essentially a writer of all different types of of media. Awesome. So I know most animal rights activists, we have always loved animals, but when did you first become passionate about animal rights specifically? And then how did this translate to comedy? Good question. So I... I tell myself I was always an animal lover, but when I really examine my childhood, I was mostly a dog lover. And then I think dogs were kind of my gateway drug into other animals. And I think it was in undergrad when I started considering other animals. I had worked at an animal shelter, uh, you know, in in, uh, afternoons and in between classes. And that kind of got me into learning about and thinking about animals on a more critical level, I guess, Uh, not, not critical of the animals, but, you know, critical in terms of like theories around animals and, uh, you know, should we be spaying and neutering and all the background issues that you start to learn about when you look a little bit deeper um, and, and not just focus on like cute puppies. (laughs) And so that kind of got me into thinking about farmed animals and it interested me in joining uh, joining organizations that were focused on dogs and cats, but also other animals. And it just led me down, uh, I guess you would say a rabbit hole, <laughs> um, <laughs> of learning about, you know, what pigs and chickens and cows go through and, you know, learning about leather and all the things that kind of open up to you when you, when you discover animal rights, um, beyond just animal welfare and beyond dogs and cats. And I, I bring that into my comedy because it's just part of me. It's such a big part of my identity, being a vegan, being someone who believes in animal rights. You kind of just see these things everywhere, right? It's hard to to unsee them. And so in the same way that I talk about being married or, you know, uh, being a dog person, uh, 
being a writer, I also talk about being vegan and I, I try to slip some animal rights messaging into my comedy as well. That's awesome. How do you kind of balance the comedy and activism and, and serious topics such as women's rights and animal rights? Ah, that's a great question. I I think sometimes it's a balance and sometimes it's more of a meld. <laughs> so depending on the circumstance and and maybe how receptive the particular audience might be to humor, I'll bring humor into my activism and I'll bring activism into my humor. And uh, one way that I, I just restarted a blog that I used to run called Weird, Why Aren't You Vegan? And it's a really good way for me to bring those things together online. And what I do is I, the whole premise of the blog is that it's weird to not be vegan. So it's kind of like this pretend utopia that I'm, um, that I'm writing from where most people are vegan and that's really normal and boring. And so I'm going to go out and find the the few remaining non-vegans and interview them about why they're not vegan. So there's a lot of ways that I've found to kind of bring in humor into my activism and vice versa. Yeah, that's so interesting. Where can people find your blog? Uh, so it's at whyaren'tyouvegan.com, or you can find it uh, on Instagram at whyaren'tyouvegan. Okay, perfect. So is all of these things kind of intertwined in your writing all together, such as in your memoir? Yeah, I mean, it's I have a hard time um, not being authentic, <laughs> for better or worse, sometimes. Uh, and so I... I think animals kind of make their way into anything that I do, even, you know, with my business um, on the nose, I, my favorite clients, some of them are, you know, the animal folks, the dog sitters and uh, rescue organizations, um, vegan advocacy groups. And that's just where my sweet spot is. So it's kind of hard for me to avoid <laughs> uh, falling into this niche, I guess you would say. Absolutely. Do you have any advice for for people who are wanting to get into writing? I do. I actually find that, and, and some people might disagree and that's fine, but I find calling yourself the thing you want to be is really powerful, at least for me. So sometimes people think like, even when I was writing the book, I was like, can I call myself an author yet? I'm writing a book, but it's maybe not published yet. And even now that it's published, I published it and that has some stigma around it sometimes. And so even now I'm like, can I call myself an author? But I would say to people, if you want to be a writer, all you have to do is write something and you're a writer. It doesn't have to be published. It doesn't have to be in the New York Times. It doesn't have to be a bestseller. You're a writer just by doing it. So just do it and um, find other people who are doing it too, so that you can feel less alone about uh, imposter syndrome that we all have. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly where I was going to go, because I know that a lot of people struggle with that. So I think that's great advice. So what inspired you to write your memoir? So I my memoir is um, is about caring for an aging dog. And what first inspired me to start writing was um, wanting to preserve memories. And so I just started writing for myself basically anything I can remember <laughs> about my dog at the time, her name was Dakota, anything I could remember about her life, I kind of had a fear of maybe forgetting it or um, a desire to keep her alive in some way. And so I started writing down everything I can think of. And that slowly morphed into, oh, this might be a good book 
and I want other people to be able to read it and, and learn from it and feel less alone if they're going through something similar. And it just, it took a total 180 <laughs> morphing from, you know, a list of memories just for me into a, a fully like publishable narrative story. Um, and, but that's the original intent was just to preserve memories. Oh, I think that's amazing. And I think it's, it's so cool that you can, I don't know, kind of allow yourself to share that with other people as well. I think that's inspiring. So I think people really need to feel less alone in a lot of ways. And I hear from so many people who their dogs are aging, or maybe they lost a dog or a cat or a bunny or, or whoever, and they maybe are surrounded by people who don't have quite the same relationship with animals or that particular animal. And they end up feeling really alone in their grief. They feel like they're not allowed to be as sad as they are, or people don't understand why they're grieving over quote unquote, just an animal. And to hear from other people who are as sad or, you know, as brokenhearted about it or care as much as they do in a way that maybe the majority of um, of people don't express, I think is really powerful. Definitely. I think it's just not talked about enough overall. I mean, we we talk about human aging and everyone can relate to that, but there's there's some people that just have never had that kind of connection in their life. So, yeah. So how has your practice with all of these different things changed over time? I'm sure just trying to to balance it all is is such a challenge. I can't imagine. It's yeah. I mean, I sometimes feel like I'm. Uh, I don't know if we can say half-assing. <laughs> I sometimes feel I sometimes feel like I'm doing a spreading myself too thin, but these are all just projects I kind of accidentally get myself into. <laughs> And like I said, they all kind of fit under this umbrella of like writing and animals or like words and animals. Um, but over time, I think in terms of my activism in particular, I have really settled into it. Like I've really, I used to be, as most people are when they first learn about animal rights, first go vegan, perhaps we're very angry. <laughs> we're very, we're, we feel blindsided. We didn't know all this stuff was happening and that we shouldn't participate in it. And, uh, and we just, we want to tell everybody about it. Right. And, and get them to have the epiphany that we just had. That's so important to us. And I was that way for sure. I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. Um, but not to say that ang being angry is a mistake, but the way that I was, expressing it was probably not the kindest toward people. But now I really try to just kind of do the things that I enjoy doing. And if they change people's minds, then that's fantastic. If they expose people to new information, that's great. But I'm really just doing the things that I'm passionate about and trying to also lead by example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was struggling to even kind of uh, choose questions for this because I was like I want to be able to talk about all these different things that you're doing and I just I, I think it's also cool and, I, and so I'm I'm really excited so so kind of trying to to focus on, on one of these things and let let you have time to to talk about it what is the main purpose of your business on the nose yeah so on the nose was started in 2021 
Um, I was accidentally part of the whole everyone leaving their jobs during the pandemic. It just, <laughs> my, my leaving of full-time work just happened to be during the pandemic, <laughs> coincidentally. But I launched this business to mainly help um, help people change the world in their own ways through communication. And a lot of times what that looks like is um, writing marketing materials or writing fundraising copy for organizations that are doing good work. Other times it might look like uh, coaching an individual who's trying to maybe get into nonprofit work and needs help creating a cover letter when they haven't ever done that or uh, or it's been a long time since they've done that. So it can look like a lot of things. And uh, and I I really keep it pretty broad on purpose because I'm still in the learning process of what do I like to do and where do I best fit and serve people? So it's been a lot of fun so far and I've gotten to do a lot of different projects, but the main, uh, or not the main thing, but the my favorite thing is really coaching other people to understand that they can be good writers, even though they don't think they are. Okay, great. How do you, what is the best way for people to find you? Probably just follow me on social media. I'm most active on Instagram and it's at on the nose comms, C-O-M-M-S. Okay, perfect. So how do you feel you make a difference in your industry? Obviously, you're working in a lot of different sectors. And so what what part of that really speaks to you? The most important thing, the most valuable thing to me has been to at least aim to empower people through authenticity. And what I mean that when what I mean by that, excuse me, is I tend to speak very conversationally. I am very down to earth about what I can do and uh, and what I bring to the table. And I think that is increasing the appearance of accessibility for other people who want to do it. So um, I'm hoping that people see me and go, oh, if she can write a book, I can write a book. Uh, I often see other people, you know, there was a time when I, I must have saw or I must have seen stand-up comedy and thought, oh, maybe I can do that. And I want other people to have that spark and use me, you know, like just little old Lisa who's just <laughs> hanging out, hanging out in Washington with her dog, um, can write a book. I want people to see that and have it empower them to do maybe it's not write a book, but maybe it's something else. And I think the other side of that is to also help people understand that help is available to them. So I think a lot of people, when they see that my business is helping people to write, they might assume it's large organizations or large projects, but I can help. You know, the other day I jumped on a call with somebody for 20 minutes and just helped them figure out their um, personal statement for they were applying to a grad school and they had to answer a couple of questions. And, you know, it's just a, a few paragraphs, a few minutes of time, but I was able to help them do that. And so I, I try to scale everything down a little bit so that it's more accessible for regular people who might not have a budget <laughs> to hire contractors. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that a lot of people just get so intimidated and there's such a, a fear of failure in our in our culture these days that stops people from from doing these things. So I think that's really cool. Exactly. Yeah, I think, like I said, with the calling yourself a writer, really 
almost 80% of, of doing the thing is just showing up in the first place. And so if you just show up, you don't have to be the best person out there. You don't have to be the best writer or the best comedian or the best business owner. If you just show up and try, it's it's so much of the battle. But that's really uh, an easier thing to say than it is to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big believer in the superhero stance. Um, yes. <laughs> posing up before you have to, you have to take a test or do something big. So, so I think that's, that's great advice. I love that. So obviously it seems like um, your business is kind of the thing that's taking up a lot of your time right now, but do you have anything you're currently working on that you're very excited about and you want to tell us a little bit about? I do. And it's actually under the umbrella of the business. So uh, hopefully it fits in well. Um, I am launching a podcast through the business. So um, I'm hoping to be as half as good as you. And uh, I'm, but I'm just getting started. And it is called Pause for Effect, P-A-W-S, because you know us animal people love a pun. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so it's it's a little bit meta. I talk on the podcast to other people who communicate about animals. So I'm talking to people who maybe they uh, do graphic design for uh, animal rights organizations. Maybe they're an author who writes books about animals. Maybe they're an artist who uh, paints people's animals for them. So it's all about communicating about animals. I love that. I'm so excited for you because I am I was just new to this like a year ago. So I understand the process of, of trying to learn about podcasts and it's it's a lot. <laughs> It is a lot. The editing is a is a whole other ball game. <laughs> oh, absolutely. When do you think that this project will get launched or has it already? Uh, so I put out kind of a trailer and that's out on, you know, Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. And I have a couple of episodes recorded, but I'm uh, I want to kind of bank up a few episodes before I start releasing them just to try not to get myself into a bind of not having any content ready when I need it. So I did, uh, I recorded an episode that I'm really excited about with a dog behaviorist who has some really cool things to say. And I actually found her on Instagram. So it's, it's fun to connect with other people that you might not get to otherwise and in these one-on-one -on -one ways. So I'm looking forward to it and hopefully people will find it interesting to listen to also. Yes, definitely. Well, I'm excited to hear it. So um, obviously, even for podcasts, you have to do to do some writing, some planning for questions. So can you explain your writing process for these various projects? Sure, I am. I am very bad at linear processing. <laughs> <laughs> so I I tend to like I have to stop myself from reading ahead in books. And I just want to do things out of order sometimes. It's a little bit of rebelliousness and uh, a little bit of probably undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> um, but when it comes to writing, the first thing I always do is get it all down. So if I'm, even if I'm just brainstorming about a project, I have to write everything down and just like get it out of me onto paper. And sometimes that helps me even like, even if I don't think of that as getting started, that helps me to get started because it helps me to kind of process my thoughts and understand what I'm trying to do in the first place. Um, so that's no matter if it's, you know, writing questions for a podcast or starting to write a book or business plan or what have you, I always just get it all out of me onto paper first or, or 
you know, a screen. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that that uncensored just word vomit is just so it's underrated because you just you're able to get so much down and you can always edit later. But yeah, I think that's good advice. Yeah, I'm a fan of a I think they call it a is it a word cut? Cl- no, not a word cloud. There's some name for it that I can't remember. But there's a way of planning out projects where you kind of you put the concepts into little bubbles instead of writing out a list or something linear. And it kind of just helps your brain get out of thinking you have to get it all down in the right order. And so you're kind of just putting words all over the page and it helps my brain to stop editing (laughs) when it's not time for editing yet. Um, Because I, I am a perfectionist about writing and I, my ideal would be to write a perfect first draft. Um, I want my first draft to be my final draft, but that's just never how it works out. And, uh, so any tricks I can do to kind of like get all the information out of me and not judge it too much is really helpful. Yeah. And that's something that people can reach out to you about, correct? For, through your business, if they need help kind of working through some stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's funny because a lot of times when, Clients first reach out to me if it's somebody who's trying to write something and they don't feel like they're a writer or they don't feel like they're creative. Almost always the advice, at least to get us started, tends to be, well, what are you trying to say? Just say that. Uh, Because a lot of times when I'm helping somebody to put their words into from take their words from just verbal words or thoughts in their mind to writing on paper, there's some kind of like psychological barrier there. And if they just tell me what they're trying to say on paper, a lot of times they say it perfectly. So one tip that I have for people who don't feel like they're writers is just get your phone out and go to the you know audio recording app and just say the thing into your phone and then listen back to it and type it up. Yeah, sometimes just being able to get your people try to overcomplicate it and and make it sound, I don't know, fancier the first time around. And it's like, yes, the idea was great. Don't. (laughs) Don't (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I almost think that's like school writing, academic writing kind of messes us up a little bit for real life (laughs) writing. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Like we we think that it needs to have this wonderful verbiage and it needs to have a lot of commas and and it doesn't really. It's it's actually a lot more interesting to read something that sounds like a human wrote it, right? <laughs> Shocker there, right? <laughs> yeah. It's quite a well, concept. Well, how can the general public find all these resources that you have and support you in the best way possible? So the best place to go to find me is going to be uh, through my business on the nose. And it's on the website is on the nose comms, C-O-M-M-S dot com. And you'll find uh, some samples of my work. It's a work in progress, that website, as as they all are. <laughs> but um, I have some testimonials and sample services that I can provide. But I also want people to know that I'm maybe the most flexible person you can ever hire (laughs) because (laughs) if I, you know, I want to try a lot of different things with people and no matter how small the project is or how big the project is, I'm really willing to jump in and make a package or make, you know, a price or a timeline or whatever it might be that works for both of us. So um, yeah, just reach out to me. I'm not scary. 
and I'll, I would love to help. I, this is a, this is where I shine. This is what I love doing. So when other people get writing projects where they're like, oh, I have to write this, you know, speaker bio or professional bio and I don't want to do it. I'm like, oh, gimme, I want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I want to help you with that. Let's <laughs> let me do it. Yeah. I have to remind myself that I'm supposed to be charging money. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, that's, that's great. Okay. Well, why don't we take a little break here and we will come back and talk some more. Hi, everybody. We're back with Lisa Rimmer and we're going to keep talking about her various projects. So I was wondering if you could explain a little bit more about the stories in your book, Stay, My Forever Friendship with an Aging Dog. Sure. So it's a memoir, um, which I realize I'm not saying (laughs) the correct way, but I can't bring myself to do it. Uh, But what that means is it's a true story from my life. So it is about taking care of a senior dog and going through all the uh, fun stuff and not so fun stuff that comes with that in including a lot of denial on my end about um, about my dog aging, about her, you know, about the fact that I'm ever going to lose her. So just it's filled with denial. And my husband is the character in the story who uh, who kind of plays the antagonist and plays plays the adult to my denying child. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, would you like to explain a little bit more about about your dog specifically and and how that affected you? Sure. So my dog, her name was Dakota, and we adopted her as a very very young twenty somethings. So my husband and I, well, I I graduated undergrad, moved to where my husband was living, got married. And the first thing that I did was we got to get a dog. (laughs) It was the first adult decision. We have our own place. We have money. (laughs) We have, you know, we're responsible for our own decisions. We're adopting a dog. Mm -hmm. And so Dakota had been with us the entire time we were adults, or at least I was an adult. And so she became a very big part of my identity and even more so when she started aging which is when the story begins for the book she she became you know more needy more more less dependent and i worked from home and punctuated every part of my day with something related to my dog so if i needed a bathroom break she got a bathroom break. If I needed a snack break, she get a snack break. So she was really, my world revolved around her. And uh, spoiler alert for the story, <laughs> which takes place starting when she's 13. So not too much of a spoiler, but the story does involve her passing away. And that hit me like a ton of bricks, which is something that I theoretically understood before it happened, but really had no idea you know, how hard it would be and how much it would change. And she's really the the inspiration for me leaving full-time nonprofit work and starting my business, coming back into comedy, doing all these things that are passion projects for me. I know it sounds incredibly vegan cheesy, but I uh, I started thinking, you know, Dakota, what she taught me was really to live in the moment and be present and think about, you know, making fun, creating joy out of what you've got right in front of you. And so I started thinking, okay, what do I really want to be doing with my life? And what would she want me to be doing um, that would 
that would create the most joy. So here I am. Absolutely. Well, life is too short to not do the the things you're passionate about. So, but sometimes it takes that reset to to kind of make that happen. So, yeah. Do you have any resources for people going through a similar situation? I do. So I would definitely recommend the book, although I don't know if I would recommend it. Sometimes people tell me, oh, my my friend's dog passed away. I'm going to give her your book. And I think maybe just wait a month because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just really, really raw when you're going through it. But I definitely recommend the book, um, especially for folks who have dogs who are starting to age. Um, it can give a little bit of insight into what that process might be like and, you know, a lot of the feelings that come along with it. Um, and then I also on my website on the I have actually created a pet loss coping guide. So it's a, a free PDF that's I think four pages full of my best tips for if you've lost a companion animal, whether that be a dog or a cat or a whoever, um, things that helped me through that process that I think other people could benefit from. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, I'm glad that you have that available. I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people. So what is one important lesson your work has taught you? Oh, that's a great question. I think the biggest thing that's helped me is to think about the process and enjoy the process more so than the outcome. Um, which is really hard for me. <laughs> I think it's really hard for a lot of people, but it's, yeah, it's such a challenge to not think about, okay, you know, you're, you're writing this book. What's the book going to be like? How are people going to like it? How many people will read it? It's so hard not to think about the outcome, but if you're not enjoying the process, then what's the point of doing it at all? So while I was writing the book, I actually, it was my husband who was the person reminding me of this sometimes when I needed it most, if it got really difficult, if I, you know, if I started to feel that imposter syndrome that we mentioned, he would remind me, you know, this is just a project that you're doing that you wanted to do is your idea. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be kind of an adventure. And if it's not shaking out that way, change something, you know, make sure that it, make sure that it does. Um, and I think we can bring, even if, even if it's work that, you know, maybe it's not our number one passion, <laughs> but <laughs> it's work, work we have to be doing. I think there's a, at least a little bit of that mindset that we can bring into it. Absolutely. Kind of, um, I don't know, going back to, to you saying like, you want people to be their authentic self. Obviously this is like a huge challenge when you're when you're doing all these different things and 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 just trying to be successful so what are some of the biggest challenges you faced in this field just trying to be yourself for me you know I I this is a challenge that I continue to face and it's really just an internal worry more than anything else but I often uh I often am afraid that by being my authentic self, I come across as less of an expert because I'm not, you know, there's some people who d they just speak in a certain way that makes them sound authoritative. And that's just their, that that's them being their authentic self. That's not me. I will t kind of, you know, I'll talk like this. I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what I think I know and what I think I don't know. And just be really real about where I stand and in terms of expert level knowledge of whatever the task might be. And I worry sometimes that we're so used to seeing people, particularly, 
particularly on social media, come across as experts. Uh, I worry that in the face of that, I will look like I don't know what I'm doing, but sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. And I think that's okay. And, you know, I just, um, I won't say the name of the company, but I just came across this company that I did some work with and they were trying to figure out something pretty simple in their QuickBooks, their accounting software. And I thought, oh my gosh, even this company that I see as like this big thing, they don't even know what they're doing in QuickBooks and neither do I, and neither do any of us. We're all just learning as we go. (laughs) (laughs) And so even when people come across as experts, I think "Mm, there's probably still a little imposter voice in there somewhere telling them that they don't know anything. So we probably all have it. I think I'm I'm just, I'm just really ready to share (laughs) those insecurities with other people. Absolutely. I mean, I think when people are are coming off as as that confident and knowledgeable, it's they're trying to to do kind of what you said, where they're like, "I I am this. I'm going to act like this so that um, it it will come off as if I know what I'm talking about because that's what I have to do to get by." So yeah, fake it till you make it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So this kind of plays into that a little bit, but what is one common misunderstanding about your industry that you run into and and what would you kind of say to dispel this? I would say when it comes to writing in particular, and this goes for any creative field, I think people tend to undervalue it and and me too. Um, I sometimes have to remind myself just because this thing comes easy to you doesn't mean it's not a skill that you learned and that not everybody has. And I just, uh, I hear a lot from people, it just happened the other day where somebody was looking for an editor and they really wanted somebody to donate their services. And that's appropriate occasionally when somebody can do it. But this stuff, just because it's quote unquote soft skills, um, it still takes time. It still takes effort. It still takes learning, you know, schooling, learning, reading books, understanding things, keeping up with um, changing information. And it's a skill that deserves to be paid for. I will say my rates are pretty low because I am starting out and I, uh, I am, I have the privilege of being able to provide low rates right now, but um, I still want to get paid. <laughs> and I Absolutely, think yeah. all people who are creative, you know, we still want to get uh, compensated for our work. Yeah, it's it's not a hobby for you. It's it's how you make your living. So I think that's completely understandable. So, um, so you mentioned that you started your business in 2020. So what is the biggest surprise you had in dealing with the pandemic during all of this? Well, I actually worked from home already. And so I was virtual for something like four or five years before the pandemic. So in terms of my work situation, it didn't change as much as as it did for other people. But I have, I was and still am very surprised at the lack of connection or lack of community that I have been feeling, um, which is probably my own fault and I'm trying to figure it out, but it's kind of like COVID happened and I forgot what it was like before. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I, I just, uh, I was talking to somebody recently and said, I keep forgetting that going to the movies is a thing. Like, you know, (laughs) like I can, we can go to the movies again now. And, and that's kind of a thing that I used to do. And then it dropped off during COVID. And then I haven't quite 
picked it up again to that level. And same with, you know, going out to restaurants and, um, and for me doing the business type networking and being part of my community, I haven't really wrapped my mind around how we used to do that (laughs) to get that back. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I don't know, it is really nice that kind of before the pandemic hit, we had a lot of, I don't know, online things available that made it possible to get by at least um, in the face of a lot of struggle. So yes, (laughs) I think we're lucky to be in the field we're in for sure. So So kind of on that note of just COVID and all the craziness happening in the world, I mean, I think that, I don't know, at least people in in animal rights, I feel like we're generally positive people. We like to think that that we can make a change in the world. So it's kind of a cheesy question, but what is your best tip for making the world a better place? I'm going to give you a cheesy answer. (laughs) I love it. I can't wait. I really think, oh, this sounds so cheesy, but I really do think it starts with being yourself and just thinking, okay, what do I like doing? Um, What do I feel like naturally I'm good at or naturally I enjoy figuring out? And then bring that and find a place to apply that because we really do need every kind of activism. We need the people who are you know, on the front lines protesting, but we also need the behind the scenes people who are like, hey, I can sign petitions or I can write petitions or I can figure out the coding to get a database to work. So there's there's just something for everyone. And I think it tends to work out a lot better. There's less burnout um, if people just choose the thing that they enjoy doing and bring that to the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of times when people try to do, I don't know, careers that they think they should be doing, and they would just be so much more successful and happy if they they do the thing they're passionate about. So agreed. And sometimes it takes trying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it takes trying because so I, I was, I think a lucky person in that I knew what I liked doing. I knew I loved animals and I wanted to advocate for animals and I knew I loved writing. So there was, okay, boom, there's something. Um, But not everyone has those clear passions. Like maybe you don't know what you're good at, or maybe you you're good at many things and you don't know which thing to choose. And I think just jumping in and trying things can be really beneficial and remembering that decisions, most decisions aren't permanent. (laughs) So you might jump into a job that you think you'll enjoy and you don't. And then maybe a year later, year later, you're coming to me to get help with a cover letter because you, you want a new job and that's fine. You know, we don't have to do one thing in our lives. We can try many different things. Definitely. On that note, we kind of didn't get to to talk about your your comedy shows very much so far. So what is one thing you learned while performing performing comedy shows that you didn't expect? You know, this is a lesson that I'm still learning, which is to have your own goal for it. So there's so many things that we do in life and comedy is one of them where other people are kind of determining your success So other people, it's like, did you do a successful comedy set? The answer to that is, did people laugh? 
but that's not anything that I can control, right? It might be a room that's really grumpy because they didn't like the last comedian, or it might be a room that's almost empty and there's hardly anyone there. So there's, there's a lot of things that we can't control, but there are always things that we can control. And so I often go into comedy shows with some kind of little goal that I want to accomplish that night whether it's I want to try this new joke or I want to do this a different way or I want to um, record my set so that I have something to submit to festivals or wh whatever it might be, I there's always something that I can be the boss of and that I can know, okay, I, I set out to do this thing and I did it regardless of all the external stuff. And I think there's probably something like that in every field that people might be in. Definitely. Do you have any shows coming up? I do. I have a few fun shows coming up in March. So I live in uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, so if people are out in this area, the um, kind of like the greater Seattle area, I'm just south of Seattle. So I feel like a fraud saying Seattle, but um, <laughs> the greater Seattle area, I've got some shows coming up. Um, one that I'm really excited about is on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, we're doing a a show out in a town called Eatonville, Washington, which is pretty rural from what I hear. <laughs> okay, very cool. That sounds fun. So so kind of wrapping up a bit, what are the biggest things you're looking forward to in your career? I'm kind of looking forward to just seeing where it all takes me. I, I imagine that I will narrow my focus a little bit more <laughs> in the coming <laughs> years, uh, probably a little out of necessity uh, and sanity's sake. But I am still like I said, trying to figure out where I want to land. Um, I have an idea for a second book, but now that I've written a first book, I know how much work it takes to write a book. So I'm, <laughs> I'm much more scared to do a second one, but at some point I'd love to do that. And that'll be themed around animals as well. Um, but it'll be uh, a novel. So fiction. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things I'm excited about and figuring, figuring out who I am and what I'm doing is kind of, uh, the, the most exciting thing. Okay. Very cool. I'm, I'm so excited for you and I'm excited to see the things that you do. So what is the Thank best you. Way... Likewise. Yeah. Well, what is the best way for our listeners to support you and kind of keep up with what you're working on? Well, first and foremost, buy the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll advocate on behalf of authors a little bit and just say, I, sometimes people go, oh, $16.99, that's kind of expensive, but you're paying for like years of someone's life. <laughs> so it's so much work that goes into creating a book and getting it published and marketing it and all that. So, um, so definitely support authors, especially independent authors. Um, we've put a lot of our lives and hearts and, and hopes and dreams into these little things that sit on shelves. Uh, so definitely buy the book, which you can do on, you know, Amazon bookshop.org, anywhere you can find books online. And then I would say follow on the nose online. That's where I tend to put all my news and upcoming events and the podcast and all that. So that's on the nose comms, C-O-M-M-S. Okay, perfect. Well, is there anything you'd like our audience to know that I haven't thought to ask you? I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty well. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad that we could, we got a little taste of all your projects and I, I'm glad we didn't, you know, tell too much about it because I want everybody to go and go and check them out. So I'm, I'm so excited for you and thank you for being on my show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm a fan and I appreciate being here very much. 
Of course. Well, all the information will be in the description, um, as well as you mentioned them in the podcast. So hopefully everyone should be able to to easily find that. But uh, but yeah, thank you so much. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show. Or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs.